Let's go ahead and jump into our, our series message this morning where we've been doing a, a series called Flannel Board Stories. Uh, basically, this, this series is, is taking a lot of the stories that a lot of us probably know. Now, you may not, and that's okay, but some of the more well-known stories and allowing God and allowing the Holy Spirit to really kind of come and breathe some fresh life and some fresh revelation uh, from these stories that we know. We've, uh, we're, we've been talking about different ones. We talked about creation. We talked about Abraham. We talked about Noah, and today we're going to tell the story of Elisha. We're going to tell the story of Elisha. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we, we, I come to you right now, and God, I need you to help me to communicate the things that you want me to communicate. I believe that you place this message uh, on my heart for this Sunday, for these individuals. You knew that they'd be here. You've been preparing their hearts. And Father, I pray now that your Holy Spirit would just, uh, that my words would stop, and that, that, that the, the words of the Spirit would just come out. Because that's what changes hearts. That's what changes lives is not my words but your words and so father i pray that you would just uh continue to be here and speak through me to help us in this moment we love you and we thank you in jesus name Amen. Now, so, so let's kind of start off. We're going to tell the story of Elisha. Now, there's lots that we could talk about. Uh, there's lots of great stories that deal with this major prophet in the Old Testament. But today we're going to tell a story that's found in 1 Kings chapter 18. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 18, the, the story that we're going to tell, uh, I need to give you a little bit of background information so that you kind of uh, uh, understand the, the whole of the story. But basically, there is a king and queen that is one of the worst that the, the people of Israel have ever experienced, and it's King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, okay? If someone calls you an Ahab or a Jezebel, that is not a compliment. These were some of the worst kings that they ever had. They turned the people's hearts away from God onto to false idols and false uh, uh, religions, and it was just a mess, and it was really starting to cause some problems in the, in, in the country and in the, the situation. So Elijah comes, and, and, and to make a long story short, Elijah praise and God prevents it from raining, okay? Now, we don't know exactly how long it doesn't rain, but according to Jewish tradition, it's about three and a half years. So for three and a half years, it has not rained. People are starving. It is a mess. It is a big deal. And obviously it is happening because Elisha has prayed to God and God has turned off the waterworks, as it were, and has been going through. Uh, that's what the situation is. And so Elisha is now called by God. God says, listen, I want you to present yourself to the king. I want you to go to Ahab and I want you to kind of, it's time to kind of let this showdown kind of take place. Okay. And that's kind of where we are in the story. And so we're going to pick it up here. God, we won't read the entire entirety of the story. We're going to jump around a little bit, but I want to kind of give us the idea of understanding what the story really is. So here we are, 1 Kings 18, starting with verse number 17. It says this, when Ahab saw Elisha, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? Now I want to stop there for just a second. I want us to stop because we've kind of been doing this as we looked at the story. It's interesting here that, that Ahab is the issue. Ahab is the problem. Ahab is the individual that has caused so much of this problem and so much of these issues and so much of this no rain situation. But what does Ahab do? Ahab looks at Elisha and basically blames him. You're the issue. You're the problem. You're the situation that the issue is. And it's kind of funny because, you know what, we haven't really changed as people, have we? 
Things are happening in our life that aren't great. Things are happening that, that are not fun. And you know what? Unfortunately, we don't stop and look in the mirror and go, okay, what maybe do I need to change? What do I need to do? We try to find that scapegoat. We try to find that individual. Oops, I almost knocked my mic off. And we blame them. Hey, folks, listen, we got to start here. we got to start with our hearts. we got to start with our lives and say, okay, Father, what do I need to look at? What do I need to see? But Ahab doesn't. Ahab starts and, oh, it's, it's you. It's your issue. You've caused all this problem. He answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, have all Israel assemble for, uh, for me at Mount Carmel uh, with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So here's what's going on. Obviously, uh, it, it is now time for the showdown. OK, I don't know about you. I don't know if you like certain types of movies. I, for some reason, I think it's I'm going to blame. Well, I shouldn't blame my father, but my father really likes these. And I, I'm starting to like them as well. I like I'm starting to like the old Westerns. You know what I mean? John Wayne and all the guys. And, and, and you know what? There's always that showdown at the end. And so here it is, we're going to have a showdown. We're going to have a moment. And so Elisha is saying, I want you to get all these people. I want you to get all these prophets. And we're going to go and we're going to have a showdown at Mount Carmel. Now let's continue at verse number 20. And it says this. So Ahab summoned, now this is interesting, all the people of Israel. Okay. So this is a nationwide event. This is a big situation. He gets them all and the prophets uh, to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. The people were completely silent. What a, what a sad state of affairs we, those, those people find themselves in. They're silent. This is a pretty simple statement. If God's God, let's follow him. If this guy's God, we'll follow him. Let's make a decision today. Let's not waver anymore. Let's let's not try to, to follow God here on Sunday and then live like the devil all week long. You know what I mean? Let's make a decision. And that's what he's calling these people to. It's time to make a choice. It's time to make a place and a stand, draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? This is it. This is true. This is right. So let's continue now at verse number 23. So this is it. So he says, so now we're getting ready to have this showdown. So uh, Elisha says, now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. 
and all the people agreed. So we've got this picture in our mind. We're going to have this showdown. We're going to get everything prepared. We're going to have two altars set up, and we're not going to light it on fire. And the God that can light it on fire, do a supernatural expression of power and strength, then that's God. Okay, so that's the situation. Now, this is interesting here because there's a couple things that Elisha allows to happen that maybe you missed. Number one, the the prophets of, of Baal get to go first. Now, why is that important? Quite simply, here's what happens. Let's say they go first and that actually happens. Baal somehow, which doesn't, okay, actually fire comes down. Well, that's it. Game over, right? Because at that point, what are you going to do? You're lost. He lets them choose the bull. He says, you can pick. You can do whatever you want. You can have that option. You can pick whichever one you want. You can set it up first. You can do. He's starting to give them all these advantages because he's got faith in his God. And the last thing is when we look at Baal and who they thought he was, one of the things they felt like Baal controlled was the weather, was nature was this thing. Now, where's this fire going to come from? It's going to come from the sky. It's going to come from up there where they saw the weather came from. So in some ways, he's even saying, hey, listen, your God's good at this. Because a lot of ancient people actually believed the fire was lightning. And so what's what, lightning weather? This is, this, is, this is like giving him all the benefits. It's, you're, he's a home field advantage here. He's giving him all the advantages. He says, but the one that can light it up, that is God. So now let's continue with our story. Looking at verse number 26. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, and I, oh, listen, here, hear me here. Uh, this is one of my most favorite portions of scripture just for the comic value of this moment, okay? I love this. So this is what he says, about noontime. So they've been doing this about three hours. They've been yelling and screaming and carrying on, okay? About noontime, Elisha began mocking them. He begins to talk smack to them. He begins to make fun of them. He says, you'll have to shout louder. Now, can you picture this? Okay, here's all these people. They're they're waiting for this with bated breath, waiting for light, you know, fire, all these sort of things. There's 400-some guys jumping around, going crazy, trying to do this. And here's Elijah. I just picture it, maybe just sitting on a rock going, (laughs) this is great. Hey, hey, you got to, hey, hey, you, you got to shout louder. Maybe, now what's funny about this? This is their God. He's basically saying, maybe your God's hard of hearing. Maybe he needs a hearing aid. Maybe he's, he's not paying attention. And then Elisha goes even further. He says, for surely he's a God. Perhaps he's daydreaming. And this is literally in there, okay? Now, this is literally, when you look at the translation, okay? I'm not trying to be vulgar here. This is what he says. He says, perhaps he's relieving himself. Elijah, sorry, maybe your God's on the bath in the bathroom. Which, which, you know, that's he's busy, you know, obviously. He's making fun of them. He's teasing them. He's going, well, this, you know, well or, or maybe he's away on a trip. 
You know, he's in Cancun. I mean, he's getting some rays. I mean, he's God, right? Or he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So maybe that's what's going on. So they shouted louder. And following their normal custom, this is, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still, there was no sound, no reply, no response. You know what's sad about this story is, in a lot of ways, humanity really hasn't changed much. The gods have changed. But the way we respond to them and the way we react to them, one of the things that I look at when I see our culture and see the world that we live in, it's amazing how many people have fervent, uh, dedicated uh, gods that they follow. And you know, we've talked about this before, it's amazing the anger that I feel like our world has today. And you know one of the reasons I believe the anger is so prevalent is because they are killing themselves literally and figuratively, serving their gods, and there's no response, there's no sound, there's no reply. And they are so frustrated. They're literally cutting themselves, trying to prove, hear me, see me, find me, look at me, see. And here's the sad thing. Sometimes that's... that's, that's that's emotional, sometimes that's actually physical. We were created to reach out to a God who reaches back to us. In fact, we were created for a God who reached out to us first and for us to reach back. And when we reach out and there is no response, it destroys us. It destroys us. You know, sometimes it's easy, hear me here on this, it's easy to look at people who, who have, have taken uh, and put in the place of God other things and to almost kind of mock them and almost have this, this attitude of spiritual superiority and, and kind of have that kind of mentality. And, and you know what? I, I think that that's an easy way to go at times, but I think we also need to understand how hurting they are and what an opportunity we have to express who Jesus is because they are, they are calling out and they are calling out to a God that will not answer. But we have a God that will answer. We have a God that will give us hope and give us a future and save us and do an amazing thing in our hearts and in our lives. That's who we need. That's who this world needs. We need to allow that to take place in our hearts so that we can allow it to happen and share it with people that are in our lives. Let's continue on now at verse number 30. It says this, Then Elijah called to the people, Come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. 
After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they'd finished, he said, now do it a third time. And then he said, and they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. So basically at this point in the story, the Baal prophets, they're done. They've had their chance. Now Elijah has got it ready. He's set everything up. And then he's told them, listen, hey, listen, this isn't, this isn't too hard for my God. Get you some water. Get you some water and start pouring it on there. Getting it, you know, as I was looking at this, I was studying this over the last couple of weeks. One of the things that like, I kept finding was one of the concerns that, uh, that they felt like Elijah had was that they didn't want these people to believe it was a trick. That it wasn't, it, they weren't being fooled. And so to do that, he said, pour it over. Dump it. Keep dumping. Keep dumping it. So the water around the trench is actually completely full. There's standing water there. And so he's doing all this to show them, hey, no tricks, no, no sleight of hand. This is, this is a test of our God's strength to be able to do this. And then let's finish it in looking at verse number 36. And it says this. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elisha the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command, O Lord. Answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you are Lord, our God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord, He is God. What an amazing story. What a great story. What a, what a wonderful flannel board story. I remember as a kid watching my Sunday school teacher put the flannel board pieces up. And, you know, there's the, the altar with nothing on it. And then the, the great one where, you know, was the, the fire comes down and it just, just consumes it all. It consumes it all. But this morning, what I really want to talk about, what I want to focus in on is this. And as you look in your notes, it's point two. It's this. I believe that God desires to use us like he did Elisha to turn people's hearts to him. To turn people's hearts to him. I believe that God is raising up us as individuals and as a church to have these showdowns, to have these moments with people to turn their hearts back to him. Because what we're finding, what we're seeing is two things. We're seeing a group of people like the Israelites who are wavering back and forth. Oh, who's God? What's God? How do we understand this? And, and there's just this wavering back and forth, this, this, this kind of uh, lukewarmness that we kind of see in Revelation that he talks about that we need to remove out of our lives and out of the lives of people that are around us. But more than that, there are people who are not wavering. They have a desire and a, they have a God. And it, but God is not the God that we serve. It's a God that they have created. It is a God that they have made, maybe a cause or, 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 or materialism or, or, or other people or whatever it is. But whatever it is, what I know is this, if it's not God, when they call out to it, when they ask that God to fulfill something inside of them, that God is silent. Because it cannot do what only God can do. And so we have this opportunity. We can be that person. And you say, well, Aaron, I don't know. I mean, Elisha was a prophet. He was this great man of God. I don't know. Can I really, can I really do that? Well, you know what? That's why I want to show you before we move on. James chapter 5. 
In James chapter 5, we see this, and you need to get a hold of this and grab a hold of this because this is something that I believe the enemy will try to convince you that you can't do it. You're not good enough. You're not spiritual enough. You're not, you're not growing, enough, growing enough. You haven't grown enough and all these things. But you need to read this, and this is what it says. Elijah was as human as we are. Elijah wasn't special. Elijah wasn't this this man of God that was so far above all of us that we're just looking at him like, whoa. No, we see here he's human just like we are. We could spend time, it's another message, but we could, I could show you the times where Elisha failed, where Elisha didn't do the right thing, where he did the wrong thing. He wasn't perfect. He was a human like us. And yet, when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then, when he prayed again, the sky sent down the rain and the earth began to yield its crops God can use you. God can do amazing things in you and through you. And you can have an Elisha moment. But here's what we have to look at. We have to be ready. We have to be prepared. And that's what I want to talk about. How can we prepare ourselves to be ready for our Mount Carmel moment? How can we be ready? And I feel like we have some steps here. We see some things in some of the scripture that we just looked at. And there's several things that I want to talk about. But I want you to understand this is to prepare us. This is to get us ready for that moment. Now, your moment may come today. Your moment may come tomorrow. Your moment may come five years or ten years from now. I don't know when your moment comes, but I do know this. I believe with everything in me that God has called all of us with a calling to have moments like this, and not just one. It's not, well, I had one when I was 18, and now I'm done. Listen, if you're still breathing, if you're still on this earth, God still has moments like this that he wants to use you in, and that's an exciting thing. So the first thing that we look at is this. We need to call people close. Call people close. First Kings 18.30. Elisha says to all the people, come closer to me. And all the people came close to him. Can I ask you a question? And this is, this is an important question to ask. Do you surround yourself with just people that know Jesus? Do you live in a Christian bubble? Because God didn't call us to live in a Christian bubble. You realize that? Jesus, when he commands us to go, he says, go, go to Jerusalem, go to Samaria, get out of this area. Don't be afraid to reach out. Listen, if we're going to have these moments, we're going to have to be willing to call people close to us, bring them near, say, hey, listen, listen, I want you to watch me. I want you to watch my life. I want you to see what God is doing in me and through me. Listen, the Christian life cannot be one that's an island. It was never intended to be that way. It cannot be one that's afraid of people that says, you know what, they could hurt me or they may laugh at me or they may not understand me or they might think I'm intolerant. Listen, we can't live that way. God didn't call us to be that way. He called us to be a light in a dark place. Light and darkness have to be different. But listen, you need to find those people. You need to let God speak to your heart and begin to say, Hey, God, who do I need to draw close to me? For some of you, it's easy. It's a parent. It's a friend. It's, it's, it's a relative. It's a kid. For some of you, it may be harder. But they're all around us, and we've got to find them, and we've got to draw them close. That's one thing that we need to do. And these aren't in any particular order, guys. But this is just something that I felt like as we went through this, it became very clear to me that God was speaking to me for me to share this with you. So the first thing, we've got to call, or, or one, of the, one of the things we do is we call people close. We call people close. The next thing, we repair the altar. 
We repair the altar. Look at this in 1 Kings. What's he do? First, he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Now, now here's the thing, and this is in your notes, and you need to catch this, because altar to us is kind of a, 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 something we don't necessarily understand as much um, because we didn't live it in this time. But listen, the altar is symbolic of sacrifice and obedience in our lives. Okay? Listen, if you want to have your moment, If you're going to have that moment where God uses you to do some amazing things, you're going to have to be a person that sacrifices and it's obedient to God. Because that's what that altar represents. So as you look at your life, do you see those things? Do you see those things in in, in taking place on a daily basis? And let's be honest, okay? A lot of us, we do a, a decent job. With, with the obedience. We try real hard to do obedience, and that's great, and that's awesome. But let me just tell you about me. Sometimes I have a hard time with sacrifice. I, I want it to be Aaron's way. I want to do the things that Aaron wants to do. And sometimes it's hard for me to sacrifice and be willing to lay down my wants, my dreams, my desires... And what's silly about that is what I, want to, what I need to replace it with is not your dreams. It's not your desires because your dreams and your desires are like mine. They're selfish and they're self-absorbed in a lot of ways. But what we need to do is replace them with God's dreams and God's desires. Because when we do that, things change. Things take place that are miraculous and that are amazing. So let's be a people that rebuild that in our lives, that is constantly working at putting those stones together so that our lives are saturated with that sacrifice and that obedience. Next, next, he put things in order. He put things in order. Look at 1 Kings 18. It says, next, he put the wood in order. As I looked at this, I was trying to figure out you know, as I, I was kind of looking at some commentaries and some different things, like, what does this, what does this mean? What, what, what does this matter? And, and a lot of the things I was reading was talking about how he laid the wood out a specific way. There was a pattern. There was a purpose. It wasn't just thrown willy-nilly. It just wasn't, ah, throw it on there. It'll be fine. You know, God's going to burn it up anyway. No, he laid it a special way and placed it a certain way. He got things in order. And you know what? Sometimes in our lives, we don't have things in order. We put things in places that they don't belong. I know I do. I get, I get really worked up about certain things that just honestly probably don't matter very much. And, and when I do that, it causes me to not focus on the things that do. Listen, there's an order that God wants for our lives. Okay? Here's how this works. Are you ready? Number one is God. God is always number one. God is always the one that we look at as number two. Or number one, excuse me. Number two. Okay? Number two, it's everybody else. And I'm not going to get into, well, you know, your family and blah, blah. I mean, I'm just trying to go quickly through here and give you an idea. It's everybody else's number two. Okay? Guess who number three is? Now it's your turn. Okay? Now it's your turn. See, God doesn't ask you to basically live in a cardboard box, but he does ask you to put him and others first. And when we put him and others first, it is amazing how he'll take care of us, how he deals with those situations. But listen, folks, some of us, we haven't put the things in the right order. 
And here's the deal. Some of those things that we kind of put out of order are not bad things. You know, I think one of the, one of the tricks of the enemy is we look at those things and we go, you know, what I have in number one, that's pretty good. You know, we go, well, my, my, my husband or my wife, boy, they're, I, they're number one or my family. And boy, that sounds so good and so spiritual, but it's just so unbiblical. Because what you're doing in that moment is you're asking your husband, your wife, your family, your kids to fulfill a role that they were never created to fulfill. And what that does is bring disappointment, frustration, anger. Let's put God first. Let's put him first. And when we do that, scripture tells us that everything else will be added to us. But we've got to get it in the right order. Next one, next one. Put all the pieces on the altar. Put all the pieces on the altar. You know what we're really good at as human beings? And some of us are better at it than others, is we compartmentalize very well. We're able to, to piece out things. This is, this is how I act here. This is what I do here. This is how I, you know, let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me help you with this. Let me show you how this is possible in your lives, okay? If, if you had somebody at work and you were talking to them about something and you, had, and you were talking to maybe um, someone that you hold in very high regards as being a spiritual leader or a spiritual giant in your life, do you talk to them the same way? Do you say the same things? Do you laugh at the same jokes? Does that make sense? And a lot of times we don't do that. We, we say, okay, God, I'll give you this piece. I'll give you this piece, but I won't give you this piece. This piece is mine. This piece belongs to me. And God is asking us, hey, listen, I want all the pieces. I want every part of who you are on that altar. I want you to give it all, not, not hold back stuff, not say, you know what, this is, this, this is mine. God, I'll give, I'll give it 95%, God, it's all yours. But that 5%, oh, it's just mine. It's, it's so precious to me, and I, I just want it, and it's mine, and it belongs to me. No, no, God wants it all. And God doesn't want it all because he's selfish or he's greedy. But God understands when we give him all of us, he begins to do things through us at 100%. I want God to do through me at 100% capacity. I don't want God to take 50% and use 50% of me. I want God to use all of me. But you know what? It's easy to hold on to those pieces and say, no, 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 no. I I want this for me. The next one, we need to move in faith. We need to move in faith. This is where in Kings, 1 Kings 18, 33 to 35, this is when he begins to pour water out. And he says, just dump it. Just keep dumping it. Just keep going. Do it one time. Do it two times. Just keep dumping it until the water is full. Why? Why does Elisha do that? I believe very simply, Elisha believed, hey, it's no harder for God to send fire down and catch something that's dry as it is wet. He believed that God had the ability not to just do the minimum, but do the maximum to do more than we can even hope dream imagine or think so he's like hey you know what go ahead drench it down do you have that type of faith 
Because a lot of times the faith we have is faith we can manage. Faith that we can understand. Faith that basically says this is God can handle this. But we all sometimes live a life that says God can't necessarily handle that. God wants us to have a life in him and a faith in him that says, you know what? It doesn't matter how hard. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. I know my God will answer. I know my God will do amazing things. And I don't yeah, drench it. Drench it. What type of, of people... How could God use a group of people that basically say, you know what? I don't know, just believe my God for a miracle. I don't just believe my God for the supernatural. I believe that he can do it far beyond anything I can hope, dream, or imagine. That's an amazing faith. And God wants us to be that, have that type of faith. The next one, we need to be a person of prayer. Okay? We've got to be people of prayer. You want to change things in your life and in this world and in our community, it starts on your knees. It has always started on your knees. It will always be on your knees. You say, well, shouldn't we be doing this or shouldn't we be doing that? Yeah, maybe we should. But you know where we get our marching orders? We get them when we're on our knees where God says, this is what I have for you to do. How's your prayer life? What's it look like? And please, please say, you know, I pray every day and, and, and I, that's awesome. That's great. Is it, is, are you away from the dinner table when that happens? Got me? You know what I mean? And you go, well, you know, I don't pray as much as, no, hey, we all could do better. This isn't a rebuke. This isn't a oh, horrible, terrible person. But this is understanding that this is our lifeline. If you want, listen, listen, hear me here, okay? In about... Eight months, maybe? Seven months, doesn't matter. We're going to be voting. Can I ask you a question? Which do you put more a thought into? And which do you think is going to change this country more? Your vote or your prayers? Which is it? Now, I'm not saying don't vote. Please, 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 go vote. Okay? That's important. But hey, let's be praying. Let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for our government. Let's pray that God will heal our land. But it starts in prayer. Let's be people of prayer. The next, there's two more. The next, follow all the instructions. Look at 1 Kings. This is what he's asking. Prove that I have done all this at your command. I love this. Because what Elisha is saying here is, listen, this wasn't my idea. I didn't do, you know, you know a lot of times what I feel like we, we have this, this mentality uh, in the church that we got to get together and, and, this is, and this is fine and this is good, you know, and we got to have our brainstorming sessions and we got to, okay, God, what, what is this and that? And we got to come up with our, our four step plans and there's nothing wrong with that either. Don't misunderstand me and all these sort of things. And it's like we, we forget to even invite God to the meeting. Elisha here says, listen, I didn't do this because it was my idea. I didn't do it because it was a great idea. I didn't sit there and, and, and getting fed by ravens going, you know what would be really awesome? We had this like revival type thing, you know, we'll brought everybody to the, to the Mount Carmel and man, it'll be awesome and I'll be there and I'll have a three-piece suit on and I'll walk around real fast. Well, I walk around real fast anyway, you know, but we'll get excited and then we'll call down the fire and <laughs> Ta-da! Now, is that kind of, in some ways, without the embellishment, what happened? Yeah, it is. But you know what? It was done because that's what God said. 
Listen, what we need in our lives are not good ideas. We need God ideas. We can spend a lot of time doing good things. And that's great. But I want God ideas. I want you to have a prayer life and in moments with God where when God speaks, you follow the instructions. You do it because this is what God asked you to do. Even though it, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Even sometimes you're going, hey, God, wait, wait. I mean, can you imagine Elisha here? I mean, I believe he was a man of faith and I believe he saw amazing things. But remember, he was human. He's saying, okay, God, now, now let me get this straight. You want me to go to the king who has the authority to chop my head off and has been searching for me to kill me. That's what you want me to do. And then you want me to go against 400 plus other people and other prophets, and you want me to bring all the children of Israel who know the power really resides with the king, and the king says, hey, I want you to kill either this prophet or I'm going to kill you. They're going to come after me. And then you want me to do, and, and then fire, and then you what? <laughs> and he did it. He followed it to the letter. Let's be people that follow the instructions. You say, Aaron, where do I get the instructions? Where do I, how do I know what to do? How do I, how do I know what the instructions are? How do I figure this out? This is your instruction manual. But you got to read it. You got to be in it. And here, I'll, I'll go one step further. It's not necessarily just reading it. It's studying it. It's digesting it and taking those moments and experiencing it. So, hey, listen, get your instruction manual out. Know what God's called you to do. Know what God's asked you to do. And then the final thing, and this is important. If the worship team wants to come back up, we're going to close. You need to understand the purpose. Okay, you've got to understand the purpose. Because here's the thing. If you're, if you're, if you're going to take up archery, okay, some really, really bad things will happen if you're not shooting at a target. Okay? If you say, I think I'm going to just take up archery. Are you ready? Here we go. You know, you've heard the old saying, if, if you don't have a target, if you're not shooting for something, you're, you're, you'll, you'll always hit it. So, so what's the purpose here? Why does God ask Elisha to do this? Look at what he says. In his prayer, he tells us what the purpose of your Mount Carmel experience is with people. It says this, hear me, O Lord, hear me. And here it is, that this people may know that you are the Lord God. That's number one. We don't do these things. We don't have Mount Carmel experiences so Elisha can be puffed up and look good. We do these things because we want people to know there is a God and he's our God and that our God is good and that our God is loving and that our God is kind and that our God made a way where there was no other way. And you know what I found sometimes? And I'll just speak for me and, and for people like me in the ministry of pastors. We, we, we tried to have these Mount Carmel experiences in our church. But the problem, quite honestly, is the purpose is not to make God great. It's to make us great. It's not to make Jesus known. It's to make our churches known. 
you know what? I think one of the reasons we're not seeing more of these types of moments in our churches here in America is because we've got the purpose wrong. We've stopped forgetting that it's not about us and it's not about our wants, our desires, or making our name great. It's about making God's name great. So you've got to start there. God, I'm not doing this for any other reason but because I want you to be known because I know you are the only God. You are the only way through which men can be saved. And the next one, and that you have turned their hearts back to you. Turned their hearts back to you. Why does all this happen? It happens because God wants to be known and he wants to rescue hearts. He wants to change who we are. He wants to go and he wants to, why did Jesus come? He came to find lost things. He didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. He came to do amazing works. He came to take hearts of stone and hurt and pain and change everything. But if we miss the point, if we miss the purpose, if we miss that, we'll miss those moments where God desires to not listen. Listen, this isn't just about changing a person, even though that's where we start. This changed everything. God wants to use you to do that type of things. He wants to use you to bring people back, to change their hearts, to turn their, 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 themselves back towards God. And we're going to finish with Jeremiah. He says this. This is what God speaks. He says, I will watch over and care for them. This is such a beautiful scripture. This is God speaking yes to Israel, but in its, its extension to us today and to all humanity. I will bring them back here again. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them hearts that recognize me as the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God for they will return to me wholeheartedly. Can you do me a favor? Let's all close our eyes and they're going to spend a time of just prayer and intercession. But I want to I remind you of something. When you accepted Jesus, when you, when you allowed him to come in and, and do all the things, you know what you did? You, know, you, you, you gave him your heart. We always tell the little kids that. What do you, I'm going to ask Jesus into my heart. I'm, I'm giving him a heart. But you know what? Another way to say that is like we see in Jeremiah here is this idea that we have returned to him wholeheartedly. But I believe that there are people in your life that God has placed in your life to be instrumental in that moment in their life where they return to God wholeheartedly. Maybe they know him a little bit and they've experienced him in the past, but they've walked away. Maybe they don't know who Jesus is. Maybe they're not quite sure what this whole thing is. Maybe they're people that, like the prophets of Baal, are are very fervent in their belief, very strong in their belief. Hey, listen, listen, God wants to change their hearts too. There is no one that is too far from the reach of God's grace. No one's too far. If they're breathing, there's a chance. And God wants to use you and he wants to use me 
for that type of moment in the lives of people, in the lives of our family, and in the lives of this community. But you know what, folks? Hey, hey, we got to get ready. We got to prepare. A lot of times we'll look at other churches or other people and we'll go, wow, look how God's using them. And, and wow, well, God, there's such an anointing on them. And, and oh, there's such an anointing on the church. And we're seeing today, we're seeing this moment that God is using them today. What we don't see is the last 20 some years possibly where God was preparing them and getting them ready. We're just seeing the end result and we can't focus on the end result. We got to get ready because when the timing comes, it's not what we're doing. It's not what God saying uh, or our plans it's God saying it's time to go it's time to present yourself to the king because I'm going to do something great I'm going to do something mighty I'm going to show up and show off and show my power and my love I'm going to show them that I can want them back that I can bring them home and that they can experience the life changing grace mercy and love of God and God wants you to be the Elisha in their lives does that scare you because it ought to it scares me. I'm like, oh my goodness, God, I'm not ready. God, I'm not. Hey, here's the thing. On your own, you cannot do this. But with God, all things are possible. All things can be done. But we got to get ready. We got to prepare. And maybe for some of you, you're ready and your day's today. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's in a week. I don't know. For some of you, maybe it's a couple years away. But you know what? Your day's coming. Your day is coming. And I want us to be ready. I want us to be ready. So here's what we're going to do. I want to pray with you and over you. A prayer of anointing, a prayer of, of commission, a prayer that just, that just is, is something that as, as God prepares us, that we would in, get on this journey and experience him. But I need you to pray with me for yourself, all right? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now. And God, I believe with everything in me, in this story that we've heard for some of us hundreds of times, that God, there's something new here. We get to be Elisha's. You have called us to be Elisha's. You've called us to be men and women of God who will stand up for what is right and what is true, even when our lives are in danger, even when it's the king that says, no, you troublemaker, you've caused all these issues, you've caused all these things, but no, that we'll stand up and say, no, no, listen, you're looking for things, you're looking for love in all the wrong places, you're trying to find peace and security and hope in, in gods that, were, that, that, that aren't real, that cannot do that, and they're silent, and you're angry, and you're frustrated, but I serve a God that if I pray, I, I earnestly go before him. He'll send lightning down. He'll send fire down. He'll consume it all and he'll change you as he's changed me. And so, Father, I pray an anointing over every individual in this room. God, I pray a, a direction and a plan. Father, I pray that you would even begin to place people, maybe people they know, maybe people they don't even know, in their hearts and in their mind's eye right now, and that they would begin to understand, hey, that person's going to be in my Mount Carmel moment. That person I'm going to help bring to know Jesus and help make a difference in their life because of not how perfect I am, but because of, God, what you're doing in me and through me. What a glorious thing when we are used by God. But God, I pray you'd prepare us no matter where we are on that journey to get ready.
God, I pray that we would go with you on it and that you would change us, mold us, and form us into your likeness. Change us, Father.